Hi-ho, Tudor-minded people. It's Philadelphia Carry for Tudor Time Machine. The word I share with you this week is Minkins. This morning, as my lady's maid, Marjorie, was arranging my gown, the silly chit stuck me with a pin. I turned on the girl and cried, Out of my sight, Minkins, before I box your ears for your carelessness. Minkins? How now, Tudor Files, what think you? If you're new here, I'm Gage. I'm Jessica. And we're here with Philadelphia Carey for Tudor Word of the Week. Don't miss a word. And listen to the Tudor Time Machine Story Project. Jessica reads a chapter of Time's Riddle, and then my dear friends discuss the history behind the mystery. How diverting. So subscribe on YouTube and give me a like. Thank you so much for listening. And we want to thank Feedspot for naming our podcast one of the top 10 Tudor podcasts on the web. Number two, to be exact. Tudor Files are an amazing bunch. Every one of you has the wit of Roslyn and the heart of Cordelia. Philadelphia, can you give us the spelling of Minkins, which is a tough one, and it's also <laughs> our word of the week. It is spelled M-I-N-C-K-I-N-S. And in the 16th century, this was an insult. It was as if you were calling the person an idiot or a halfwit. Or more rudely, a dumbass or a moron. So it would really work for any kind of insult where you wanted to call the other person stupid. This word is one that flies from my mouth often. When one walks through the streets of London, there are so many fools. Those who do not look up as they go and bump me. Those that step on my dress, trip over my galooshes, or stand in my way. Oh, it is vexing and I cannot help but call them Minkins. London is full of Minkins. Well, I guess that's apropos, Philadelphia, because our use of the word comes from a city comedy, a work that is set in Elizabethan or Jacobean London. And this play was first published in 1605, and it is called The London Prodigal. And the author is, take your pick. The play was never registered into the stationer's register, which was the official guild book that recorded printed works in England at the time. The original printing in Quattro by Nathan Butter attributed the play to Shakespeare and said, as it was played by the King's Men. But scholars have rejected Shakespeare's authorship. His name on the cover might just have been a way for the publisher to sell copies. And that speaks to how well Shakespeare was known by 1605. It does, and that kind of thing must have happened all the time because there was no copyright laws or anything. And I don't think that the playwright would necessarily get a cut of a publisher's printing. I'm not sure about that, but I'm sure there were pirate versions of works being printed all the time, as well as works just being miscredited on the title page to try to sell copies. I read there was a publisher, John Danter, who used notes taken during a 1597 performance of Romeo and Juliet to make a script of the play. And then he sold that script to the public. That's crazy. Those must have been some very detailed notes. And that person must have been able to write very, very fast. It makes me think that one of the main reasons the editors of the first folio 
Shakespeare's friends, Henry Condell and John Hemmings, the reason they put the book together was that it was a way of protecting Shakespeare's legacy. I agree. It was like an authorized version of his works. And also because they had the original play scripts, they knew what he had written and, and sort of what the stage directions were and things like that. And they wanted to put it out there before other people started making money off these pirate versions. Right. And it's important to remember that there was a difference between a quarto version and a folio. This play, The London Prodigal, was only printed in quarto. Quartos were smaller and they were much less expensive to print, whereas a folio was a bigger, more substantial work and, of course, also more expensive. I think it's sort of like the difference between what we used to call a trade paperback and a nice glossy hardcover with a jacket and nice pages and good print and all that stuff. The London Prodigal never made it past the cheap paperback. Shakespeare is almost certainly not the author of this work, and I'm no expert, especially with verse and things like that, but the writing doesn't seem to me to be up to Shakespeare's level. And also, he really didn't write in the city comedy genre, as far as we know. No, Merry Wives of Windsor is the only play of his that might be considered a city comedy. But the other contenders for authorship of the London Prodigal are hopefully now familiar 16th century playwright suspects, Ben Jonson, Thomas Decker, John Marston. Maybe it's a collaboration between a few of those guys. Anyway, the play is about a rich and ungrateful son. The Prodigal? Right. Philadelphia, can you tell us more about this play? The work concerns Flowerdale father and son. The father has been away making a fortune and has been funding his son, who is a spoiled, ungrateful, spendthrift young gentleman, up to all the worst sorts of London sins. The father comes home and disguises himself as a servant, so he can enter his son's service and try to reform him. There are a few subplots, but in the main plot, the young Flowerdale dupes the virtuous and kind heiress Lucy to marry him. She does. But meanwhile, her father learns of Flowerdale's evil, money-grasping ways. He refuses to give Lucy her inheritance if she stays with Flowerdale. She insists that now she is Flowerdale's wife, she is bound to him. But Flowerdale rejects her if she has no money. The plot twists and turns, and at last Flowerdale sees the error of his ways and is reconciled to his true wife Lucy and to his good father. All right, then. Where does the word of the week come in? Well, when Flowerdale finds Lucy will not have her inheritance, he tells her to get away from him and to leave him alone. She says she will never do that, as she is his true wedded wife. Flowerdale says he will leave her destitute and alone and that he loathes the sight of her. He says, I'll pay thee not a penny, and for security I'll give thee none. Minkins, look you do not follow me. Look you do not if you do, beggar, I shall slit your nose. I shall slit your nose. Yikes, that is nasty. Flowerdale is a nasty piece of work. And of course, the play is much more fun when he is the bad seed up to his bad tricks. Once he reforms, the play wraps up in a couple of lines. And his reformation happens out of nowhere and maybe within a line. Well, realism was not such a big thing as it is now. I mean, it would take a TV character at least a season to reform. We as modern audiences, do we even believe it when a character reforms? Well, we aren't minkins. We don't fall for reform. We are way too cynical. My dear Kate, how very sad. 
I am glad I am from the 16th century and believe in reform. Give heed to the files. Bring some 16th century sauce to your vocabulary with Minkins. Listen in next time. Don't miss a word. Subscribe on YouTube and give me a like.